Hello and welcome to this episode of Uncancelled and Unplugged, the podcast that gives you the opportunity to hear from speakers and thought leaders who have been looking forward to sharing their insights and experiences on a stage or an event somewhere this spring, but obviously with COVID-19 find themselves uh, um, deprived of that opportunity and, and also uh, you folk out there not getting to hear them. And uh, with me today is uh, someone I've had the uh, the pleasure of sharing stage with on a couple of occasions, um, is Alan Keller, who's the author, his most recent activity is the author of a book called Mental Health, It's Time to Talk, which is a collection of stories of, of men who've battled mental health challenges. It deals with issues such as depression, suicide, addiction, uh, and the like, uh, as well as some of his own uh, thoughts and experiences in that area. And I'm uh, delighted that Alan could join us today to, for a discussion uh, about his work, about men's mental health, and about how that might play out in, uh, in our current, uh, current environment. So welcome, Alan. Uh, glad to chat with you today. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to start, as, as I always do with this, with just, just outlining, asking you to sort of outline in brief the sort of message that you've been giving to audiences and, uh, and the like in the last sort of, you know, maybe since the book was written and, and, and the sort of response you've had and how that's played out and then we'll get into the issue of how you know how men's mental health is such an important issue right now and what people can be doing about it right now in the current environment so over to you Alan. Okay thank you John. I think for me initially one of the first keynotes that I ever created was called removing the mask and that's something that always resonated with me John because I, I grew up in a smaller town and what people saw on the outside was always so different than what was actually going on on the inside. And on the outside, people could see the person who was president of the school, athlete of the year, captain of sports teams. Years later, I was national scholarship uh, recipient as an outstanding community citizen. And at that point, I was actually still active in my addictions, but nobody knew. And that was always how it played out. The world was always my stage. And my challenge was that I never knew how to talk about my pain. And because I didn't talk about my pain, I was the one who suffered more than anyone else. And then I started to realize that, hang on, I think there's a lot of other people out there who are you know, wearing the mask. And, and it starts in the simplest form where every morning, whether it's in our workplace, in our communities, and we use that robotic greeting, you know, good morning, how are you doing? Not good, uh, you know, we lie. And, and the mask just plays itself out and it is exhausting to wear a mask. And then I find that just because someone's smiling does not mean that they are happy. So all of a sudden we start to move through this and people are getting exhausted wearing the mask, but then you have to be vulnerable. And it was incredibly scary for me to take off the mask and then ask for help and actually talk about what's going on. But then as soon as I started to talk and get into some spaces, I realized that there's a lot of people just like me. And it was a relief to get out of my head and just to put a voice to some of my pain and be free from it. And then people started to, you know, once I started to talk about my own struggles, then they wanted to know what helped me so that I could start to talk about some of my pain. And people had a really difficult time in the approach. How do you approach someone who is in distress, especially a man? If you walk into a room and you see a woman with her head on the table crying, well, now what do you do? What do you say? And, and what happens if you walk into that same room at this time, it's a man with his head on the table. Is it different? And a lot of people would say, yeah, it is a little different. Well, should it be different? Well, probably not. 
So then I started to lead people through what I found effective. And in hindsight, I realized I never wanted to be fixed, right? I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be heard. And I talk about a couple influential people in my life who understood this and who understood that I always wanted to have that power and control. And they kind of spun it in my, put the ball in my court and asked me if I was happy. And no, no, I'm not happy. You know, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And then they gave me resources. So I guess I kind of walk people through that whole approach through my lived experiences with mental illness, uh, with addictions, that path through healing. And I draw from some of my professional experiences as a counselor and teacher as well. Well, it's interesting you mentioned there about your, uh, uh, as a young man, you were quite a high achiever in the area of sports. Um, and I know there's a story, one, one of the stories, one of your, your uh, uh, folk in, in the book talk about is, is being picked for a team sports at school and how they, you know, th 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 that was an exercise in humiliation. If you were the person who was always picked last or, or near last. Right. Um, and, and that sort of stood as a, as, as, as a, as a sort of um, an icon, as it were, of, of what, what you refer to as sort of toxic max masculinity, this idea of manning up, you know, boys will be boys, toughing out. I mean, those were all things that, that, that you had to overcome, right? Yeah, now for me, I was fortunate to be, I was always the captain, right? So I'm the one picking, but I, I know what that feels like when, when I was at the University of Alberta or at the U of S and I had to take dance class, John. I had to take dance class and I was always the last person picked. And so all of a sudden I started to have a new appreciation for what a lot of people feel and that feeling of lesser than, uh, of being perceived as weak, you know, and incompetent and humiliated. And yeah, that was tough. So, um, Obviously, we've moved into a you know, very di radically different environment very, very quickly uh, with, us, with being socially isolated uh, and the like. So what, what are you seeing as being, you know, what sort of advice would you offer, you know, particularly around the issue of men's mental health? That, you know, how, how, from your perspective, what's hardest around what's happening here for men and their mental health and, and what maybe can, steps can they take? Right. So I think that... I'll give you an example. I'm getting a lot of messages from men. I'm getting a lot of phone calls from men who just need to talk. And one of the things that I heard two days ago is this man said that, you know, as, as a male, I feel that there's this innate need to fix things. And the problem is, as we look around and a lot of us are stuck at home, we cannot fix COVID-19. We cannot fix the situation that we're in. And so all of a sudden we're seeing these strained relationships. We're seeing these struggles with uh, finances. We have this fear that we're going to lose loved ones. Our whole structure and routine and world as we know it is collapsing. And it would be wonderful if we could fix this with duct tape. You know, uh, we cannot. And so then we're left scratching our head and, and we go through, well, I went through like a grieving period and then I had to rebuild. And it's the little things. Uh, one of the men that I was talking to, he says, my manhood is at stake even when I go to the grocery store because he's trying to do the right thing and he orders the groceries online and then he pulls up and he sees people bring the groceries to his car. And he says like, I'm competent. Let me do this. You're making me feel like an elderly man. And so all these old scripts of masculinity are starting to play out because uh, a lot of men want to, to do it themselves, you know? And so when all these things are taking place, then there's the potential for depression there's the potential for anxiety to creep in. And what differs, especially from 
not to generalize, but a lot of men versus women, men turn to irritability, anger. Uh, we project our pain. We point our fingers. And then there's a greater tendency to potentially turn to alcohol, to maybe turn to substances. And another challenge is right there because drinking, for example, is often in line with the masculinity behaviors. It's seen as socially acceptable. So then we can hide that even further, all of our pain. Well, we, we actually have governments that are saying alcohol is an essential service. <laughs> and I think I mean, that this is so interesting, John, because for myself, who's in Alcoholics Anonymous and all these meetings are shut down and I go to get groceries, you know, and I can see people going in and out and I'm like, my God, this is this is a little messed up. Well, I mean, the number of people who say, well, when this is over, John, we have to go out and have a drink. You know, <laughs> that, that is just that is the sort of the the um the, the default activity right so um and it does show what a central place um alcohol has in our in our in our lives and at the same time is ignoring those for whom it's problematic yeah absolutely absolutely um i think that another thing that i'm seeing john is well not just men but people in general all of a sudden everything that we do has been taken away and i find that we are very much addicted to doing and even mm. go back, you know, in a, in a lot of my conversations, you, you do that formal greeting in the morning or in the afternoon, you pass someone, how are you doing? Well, a lot of times it's actually not good. They respond with busy. I'm so busy. I got uh, all these things to do. Now, all of a sudden that's taken away. And guess what? We are stuck with self. And that's where I always ran into a problem. When I was going through addictions, I did everything, John, to make sure that I was never stuck with self. I had no relationship with myself. When we're with self, we all of a sudden have these thoughts. We have this noise going on in our head. And especially for those of us who have never dealt with our emotions or some of that pain, some of the grief, the loss, oh, that sucks. That's deafening. And now we're stuck in the confines of four walls or, oh, hang on, maybe we can go for a walk. Mm. You know, and we're getting in this tornado and it's, it's hard. Uh, so now all of a sudden we're at the fork in the road. What are we going to do? Are we going to start to go through some of these emotions? Are we going to give ourselves permission to feel, to be vulnerable? Or are we just going to keep putting our walls up? And, and here's the other problem. For those of us who have kids, the kids are always watching us. Always. Right? And so if, if we can't handle this stress in an effective way, if, if they can't see us modeling some of these behaviors where we talk about our pain, where we give ourselves permission to, dare I say, cry, you know, then, then they're not going to. But it's, it's interesting. You mentioned, you mentioned walking. And, and I think I sent you an article last week where someone was talking about, you know, how walking isn't like a man's exercise. You know, that, that, again, going back to that being picked for teams, that <laughs> and this person was saying, you know, that, that sport and exercise for them was always a competitive activity. And, and, uh, uh, you know, and if men are feeling anxious and, and that expresses itself in anger, like, you know, one, one of the outlets for that typically would be, you know, going playing a game of hockey with the guys on a Friday night or whenever, whenever that is. And walking, you know, somehow doesn't doesn't cut it. Right. I mean, um, I don't know. What do you how do how, how can you kind of maintain some level of physical activity to burn off some of that? Some of that steam, as it were. Well, I I played competitive dodgeball, also, and that was taken away from me. So I started throw throw balls at the kids, <laughs> softballs, softballs. Uh, but you know, this whole idea of walking, I think, yeah, we get in our heads that 
especially as men, we got to pump iron. And you see some of those videos right now on social media where people are lifting couches. I mean, I'm impressed. They're lifting couches and all these ideas of physical strength. But when we talk about strategies, for me, one of the best has just been to get outside, get outside, right. hear new sounds. You can, you know, even just seeing people moving, that that's kind of nice. You don't even have to talk to them. But even for me, the wind, the wind acts like smudge or, or a cleanliness where I envision the wind just taking, you know, blowing over me and taking some of that negativity uh, away and just moving gets the endorphins pumping and has the potential to make us feel good, both physically and psychologically. So I think we got to break down some of those, like, just look at it, look at it. And that was a great article you sent me, which forces us to look at this. Hey, why is it perceived as almost uh, um, being soft? You know, going for a walk is soft. Well, okay, we got it right there. Identify the problem, examine it, where did it come from, rewrite it, move through it. Well, I mean, I had, I had, we had uh, my 12-year-old grandson talking about sort of modelling behaviour for, for kids. We had my 12-year-old grandson with us for, for a couple of weeks there. And we went out every night for a walk with the dog. And I was thinking, you know, if, if we didn't have the dog, you know, saying, well, let's go out for a walk. It, it's, it's kind of somehow uh, um, you need an excuse. <laughs> and the dog provides that. I mean, you have to take him for a walk. So perhaps my advice would be, I noticed that in New York, apparently all the dog pounds are, are empty because people are, People have adopted uh, dogs like crazy in the last few weeks, so that's uh, so, so. So that's something. So when when you you spoke earlier on about um, you know that that mask you had to put on and the idea of taking off a mask, and obviously, you know, uh, I think what one thing we're learning from the current situation is in some situations masks are actually quite can be a quite a good thing, uh, but obviously not when it comes to hiding, you know, who we really are. Um, and um, you know, one of the, one of the stories in in your book was a university professor who, at age in his fifties, was hospitalised with depression, and was asked by a doctor, you know, how, um, uh, you know, if he'd ever been hospitalised before, and he remembered a time when, when he was fifteen, and I think he'd he'd, he'd said to his his mother about or his father, he said to his father about it, as well as you know, tough tough it out. So I mean, these this sort of silence that people have, you know, can go on for decades. Yeah, absolutely, and. One of the themes that rang through for me after interviewing all the men is that there's definitely nothing manly about suffering in silence. And it's just, it's about being vulnerable, you know, and um, putting a voice to some of our pain and reaching out for support. And the other thing that I found interesting, Murray included, who you're referring to, we are our worst enemy when we think about what's going to happen when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. There's this fear that if we talk about our struggles, whether it's mental health or anything else, that we're going to be perceived as weak, as lesser than, that it might uh, impact our job. And what I found really interesting, John, is that was never the case. Never the case. What they thought was going to happen never happened. In fact, it was actually the opposite. Every single person ended up being met with compassion um, and was supported in a way that they never knew possible. Well, I know we want one of the the forward to your book is written by Michael Landsberg, whose uh, hashtag that he promotes continuously is is you know sick not weak, right? So it, mm -hmm. it's very much direct, you know. And he again he comes from a sports world, and we've, we've had a couple back talks a little bit about sport here, but that that notion of of weakness that you're weak if you if if you talk about these things, 
Um, and it seems interesting to me that right now, um, you know, there's a lot of narrative around, you know, being you know, leaders, being vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure if that's really sunk in, to be honest. I would agree. I would agree. There is an immense fear, though, with being vulnerable, isn't there? Especially for men and especially for leaders, because what there, there's such a risk at how one will be perceived. But what I have, I think, embraced more than anything, I would say in the last, I would say in the last six months, is that people want real, people want authentic, and people can really pick up more than we know when we're wearing a mask. Well, again, I think that that idea that you you you, you raised there, this idea of, of guys wanting to wanting to to fix things. You know, we see a problem, we 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 want to jump to the solution, we want to fix things. And it's something which I think for you know for leaders in the current environment, where they have you know teams of people who you know we're all dealing with 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 I think a, a level of uncertainty that that is uh, you know we haven't had to deal with before because it's not just an uncertainty about our own our own future, but the future of our economy, our family, etc. But people will be looking to leaders to provide some kind of answer. I mean, I got really excited this morning mm -hmm. listening to. So Cuomo in New York saying the worst is over, you know, because you want to hang on to those sort of, but he won't give any firm prediction for when things are, are going to be finished. Right. Um, so what advice would you give to, to, to leaders where, where people are turning to them looking for answers? So, I mean, what, what would you say? Well, there's, there's a great story in there called Modeling the Way by a man named Peter. And I think he navigates through this perfectly because he contemplates this back and forth back and forth he's not doing well with his own mental health but as a leader people are looking at him uh for answers and he talks about how he was just frozen absolutely frozen and he knew he had to do something because he's at that pivotal fork in the road and so he hums and haws and tries to figure out how to send the email and then finally he sends it and this is what i was saying before you know we think it's going to be a lot worse than it actually is and his response the feedback was nothing but support and good for you to take that time and so I think the short and sweet is leaders need to give themselves permission to be vulnerable. And what it will do is it will give other people permission to do the same. That's it. And sometimes we need to just step back and take a break. That is a healthy thing to do. And that is something that we need to see modeled. And we don't have to get stuck there forever, but at least model it so that other people can have permission to do the same. And so that people can see that we are human and that we have feelings and that it's okay to reach out for support, that we don't have to fight these fights alone. And this is where we need to connect and lean on others. So a lot of the messaging out there is, hey, we're in this together. We're in this together. Well, then let's show what that looks like. Let's model what it looks like to reach out for help. Well, it, it, interesting. So just to kind of, you say there about being being in there together and and you know the notion of the book it's time to talk and you you opened by saying you know it's not just for you it was i want to be seen and i want to be heard um and it seems to be one of the one of the sort of threads through the book through all the all the examples of the men who, who share their um you know at times heart-wrenching stories but also stories of of overcoming adversity is there's always someone there who's helping them right? and that's often um, you know, a, a spouse, a partner. It's often a woman in their lives. I mean, what 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 advice do you give to people who have a man in their life who they fear? You know, what should they look for, and how can they respond? I mean, what what what, what and what what advice do you have there? So here's the number one thing that I think that we need to go back to: guts. 
pay attention to the guts. If you think that there's a problem, there probably is. And I think that any time that we're playing a supportive role, sometimes we like to live in the world of denial. We don't want to see what's actually going on because then it's real. But I think that this is where we have to just honor the guts, have a difficult conversation. And and this is where, as I was alluding to before, we don't always know what to say. And I think that if we just say something like, you know what, I'm, I'm not trying to pry. I just want to let you know I'm concerned. I just want to let you know that I'd be more than happy to listen if you ever needed to talk. And that's it. And see, what you've done there is you've you've seen them and you've demonstrated that you're willing to hear them. And whether or not they act on that invite, that's completely out of your control, isn't it? But what what's happened is they know that there's a place that they can go. And, and I think that we all want to be free from our pain. And I think that an approach like that is so non-invasive and so inviting when said the right way that a lot of times people will, will take them up on that. And the key thing is when that person that you care about starts to talk, all that you have to do is zip it, zip it. You know, this is where just let them talk because I'm sure you can relate to this too, John. You, you know, you've had a stressful day. You're frustrated. Uh, you talk to your partner, you talk to a friend for 10 minutes and throughout those 10 minutes, they say nothing. And then in those 10 minutes, you sit back and you think, nah, well, I, I feel better. <laughs> Why? Because there was a release. They, they really did nothing. And yet I would say they did everything. And I think this is where we, we think that there's this, uh, um, like we, it's not that difficult, right? That That's the simplest uh, way that I think I can break it out or show me how I can support you. Great. So um, one last thing before we before we wrap up and, you know, I appreciate we've really only, I think, scratched the surface of some of the ideas and, and uh, you know, I, th- I thoroughly recommend anyone pick up the book because I think the stories are uh, uh, really very, very powerful and, and, and inspirational. You, you close the book off with kind of five steps that you recommend to, to men to sort of help uh, help them with their mental health. I wonder if you could just share those five with us and and, and, and thinking about how they apply in the current environment um, versus maybe when, you know, when you wrote them, we were in a different, a whole different world. Yeah, no problem. Um, so the, the first one that I talked about, John, was to ensure that you express your emotions in a healthy way, in a healthy way. And that's where I didn't, I didn't have the tools to talk. I didn't have the tools to uh, right. So I just projected anger. And I think that um, the act of writing still frees up emotions and, and has been a very beneficial tool for me. The act of actually honestly talking about what's going on when I'm not doing well, I have an open and honest conversation about that. Now, the challenge, especially for men, is is for a, lot, for a lot of men, if you gave them the option to either get punched in the face or talk about their emotions... I think some might go with, you know, option A, but that does not lead to healing. And that's exactly what I've learned. Feeling is what leads to healing. Uh, the second one that I talked about, and we touched on this before, you got to just get outside and move. And so while we're in the confines of our house, it is it is imperative to just get outside. For me, I need to feel the ground beneath my feet. I need to actually think about my feet getting grounded because I have a tendency to live in my head and, and that does not do me well. So just to, to focus on breath, even clean air, not just this recycled air, uh, you know, just getting outside um, has been great. Sleeping. I suck at sleep, John. 
But I think, you know, I'm trying. And the third one that I talked about was just making time for sleep. I purposely uh, avoid social media after, after supper, actually. And then I'm mm-hmm. very cautious of how much time I spend watching TV, especially before sleep, because otherwise my head spins out of control. And um, I don't do work before bedtime anymore. And uh, I also try to write down all my thoughts on a piece of paper before I sleep my to-do list so that I don't have those spinning thoughts in my head before I go to bed. Um, The fourth one is just to monitor what you put into your body. You know, it's easy to snack. Uh, There's a lot of downtime. I think it's essential, especially for me, is water. I drink a lot, a lot of water. Eight glasses of water a day. Yeah, I I doubt if there's anyone out there now who's snacking less than they were pre-COVID. I, I, I think the snacks are the, I don't know why people rush for the toilet paper. You know, I'm going for the chips and, and popcorn and stuff. But sorry, <laughs> number five. Uh, the last one, it's, it's pretty simple. It'll take 2% for you, 2%. So I think uh, I broke it down. You, let's just say the average person has 16 waking hours. We're talking about 20 minutes. That's just for you. And I think that in this COVID-19, uh, that what we're going through, it's okay to just treat yourself so, you know, we eat ice cream, uh, not, you know, we don't binge on it, but for me, something that I wouldn't usually do, uh, my wife and I will have a Buster bar before bed, or I've started to actually take time to have an Epsom salt bath with some uh, essential oils. You know, I do things that I never did before that are just for me. And I think, John, the last takeaway. I'm going to say the old old Alan Keller, the manly and Alan Keller, never would have admitted to that, would would, would he, right? (laughs) The old Alan. I didn't go in a bath, John, for, I don't know, 15 years. Now sometimes I even use candles. (laughs) (laughs) Scented candles, nonetheless. Uh, But but here's the big one, too. For me, with COVID-19 and with life in general, what has helped me the most, especially with anxiety, because there's a lot of anxiety, it's, it's routine and structure because those are taken away, right? Had to learn how to do that. And it's been really about focusing on what's in my control and what's out of my control because the definition of anxiety is trying to things that are out of our control. Okay. And I know you mentioned earlier on, just, just in, in, in passing around AA meetings and that you're still attending those virtually, right? It, it's obviously important for people to keep engaged with those support networks they had before this happened, right? Yeah, when needed, um, I act on it. And I think that you're absolutely right. Just, sometimes we can make excuses for ourselves. Oh, this isn't there anymore. Woe is me. And that I did that. I was the victim for a long time. But you're totally right. It, it, there are still a lot of resources and supports available. Now we just got to do a bit more work, find them and act on them. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Alan. appreciate you joining me here today. And uh, I look forward to a time when we can hopefully share a stage again and uh, get an update on, on how you're doing and, uh, uh, and, and how we move forward on this. So thank you very much. Appreciate we'll it. We'll make it happen. We'll totally make it happen, John. Thanks for your time. Take care. Sure.